Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, folks. Jim here. I just wanted to let you know, before we get started, that I had some audio problems on this week's show. You can still hear me just fine, but it's not as clear as usual. I'll be back to normal on next week's show. I promise. Anyway, here are our latest campfire stories. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And as you know, we take you together to some of the most beautiful, interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. But today, Jamie, we're still at home amid the coronavirus pandemic. And instead of telling you where to go, what to see, not a good thing to do right now. The last couple of weeks, we've been gathering around kind of our virtual campfire, if you will, telling campfire stories of some of our favorite outdoor adventures. And this week, we have a couple more for you guys. Yeah, Jim, you know, we've already talked about some of our most memorable backpacking trips, some wild animal encounters. And today we're going to get into some of our more epic adventures, those trips that took us to our limits and really tested our mettle. Before we get to those, we want to remind you guys, we want to hear your campfire stories as well. And you can submit those by calling us our podcast hotline, 503-221-4345. If you don't have a pen handy, we'll say it again later, no fear. Or recording your story on your phone and emailing it to us at podcasts with an S at Oregonian.com. If you can keep them short, you know, three-ish minutes, we might be able to share them on a future episode. Jim, I'm really excited to hear what people have to share, but I'm also right now really excited to hear what kind of epic adventure you have to share for us today. I don't know about you, Jamie, but I kind of had to comb through a number of different options for this one. If there's one thing I have a lot of, it's like mid to low range epic outdoor stories. (laughs) Your life is so adventurous. You've had to comb through the many adventures to give us like that perfect little gem of a story. I mean, that makes it sound like both cooler and more conceited than it actually is. (laughs) But I have, I would like to think that I have a, a reasonably good one for you here today. So Jamie, have you heard of a mountain near Leavenworth called Colchuck Peak? I have heard of it, yes. That would be up in the enchantments, would it not? So I looked on the map today and because I wanted to definitively say it's in the enchantments. And it's like on the very, very edge. But you travel <laughs> definitely through the enchantments area, the enchantments permit area to get there. I think it can count. Let's count it. I think that is a reasonable thing to do. But being the reporter that I am, I was combing through and trying to figure it out this morning. But anyway, the beautiful enchantments area. So you know this spot. I know you haven't traveled there, but it's kind of this amazing and beautiful natural area up in north central Washington, I guess would be a good way to describe it, near the little Bavarian town or 
city, if you will, of Leavenworth. I know you've been to Leavenworth. Love Leavenworth. A lot of sausage, Oktoberfest, all the little Bavarian architecture. It's great. Very cool place. Would highly recommend folks checking it out. But that's not the point of this story. My buddy Frank and I went in June 2018 to try and climb Kolchuk Peak. And so for reference here, this is a roughly 8,700 foot mountain in the Stewart Range, perched above the beautiful Kolchuk Lake, which is one of my absolute favorite lakes here in the Northwest. And just to give you guys some context, the peak is taller than Mount St. Helens, but much shorter than Mount Hood. And because Frank and I are both big snow sports people, he's been a skier for a long, long time. I snowboarded at the time of this trip, but have since switched to skiing. We decided in June, beautiful skies, great temperatures to bring our skis with us because why not? Jamie, this sounds like a couple of other stories I've told. One or two. (laughs) Yeah. Climbing a mountain, taking your skis. Yep. Yeah. Uh So it goes. This is kind of what I do or what I wish I was doing all the time. Anyway, so we left town on a Saturday driving from Portland several hours up to the Leavenworth area. And we actually got into town with enough time to do a little bit of bouldering or like climbing on boulders, basically. Something Frank really enjoys, something I do the rock climbing gym now a lot of, I guess. I don't even remember if I had at the time. But anyhow, we did a little bit of bouldering. At some point, we checked in with his partner to kind of tell her again what our plan was for the next day, the day that we would climb. And we went off to sleep. Nothing major, a normal travel day. And woke up the next day quite early and set off on this climb. And according to the Mountaineers, and I'm reading verbatim here, the route we chose is, quote, a challenging scramble or basic alpine climb of 13 miles and 5,100 feet of elevation gain. How's that sound, Jamie? It sounds like a challenge. Sounds like a nice adventure. It was both of those things and more. So as I mentioned, this is how we do things. Frank had his skis. I had my split board, which is a a snowboard that splits in half to go uphill and then can be put back together to a snowboard to go downhill. And we also had a lot of other stuff. We brought glacier gear, so crampons, harnesses, a rope, ice axe, because we were going to be going up a glacier to reach Kolchuk Peak. And set off from the trailhead, hiked through the woods for a couple miles, eventually emerging at Kolchuk Lake, just this stunning Alpine Lake that sits underneath the imposing, this is the best name for a mountain ever, in my opinion, that I've ever heard of, Dragon Tail Peak. <laughs> what? That's awesome. And it's also just an absolutely beautiful mountain, but it sits, you know, right over this lake. Absolutely amazing setting. And we kind of hugged the lake, stepped our way through a boulder field, and after sometime we you know set our foot on snow maybe probably a few hours a couple hours later i don't remember this stuff exactly but it'd been a little bit we slog our way up the glacier you know boot pack in with our our skis and, and snowboard on our back and we finally kind of top out at the top of this glacier no trouble at all and the summit is not terribly far we make our way over there doing a little short rocky scramble at the end to reach the top 
I'm in snowboard boots, mind you. Bronk is in ski boots. Okay, so you're scrambling after crossing a glacier wearing ski boots. He was. I was in snowboard boots. So I had the advantage here. And I'll say this is a quick way to bang up a pair of ski boots. By my definition, kind of scrambling would be using your hands and feet to kind of work your way up some rocks or some uneven terrain or whatever it may be. Anyway, you're scrambling up kind of this last little perch to the summit itself. And we get up there and it's just absolutely pristine environment. You can see mountains in the distance. You can see Mount Stewart, the mountain that the range is presumably named after right in front of you. Absolutely gorgeous. I'll post a picture of the view from the top to the show notes that go with this episode. But Jamie, it was an amazing scene. We'd worked fairly hard for it. It had been a pretty long day and we felt good. But keep in mind, the reason, at least one of the reasons that we do all this stuff is so we can ski back down. By this point, we'd hiked several miles, ascended several thousand feet, and now we've got just this glorious long ski run ahead of us. Truly beautiful place we've never been before, and we were stoked, to put it mildly. Ripped down the glacier, you know, as I remember it, great snow at first, and then kind of increasingly rough going as we neared the end of the snow. And we rode until we couldn't ride anymore, strapped our skis on our packs, and continued back to the car. To pause for a second, at this point, we've been gone for, again, I don't know the exact number of hours, but we've been gone for a while, done several miles of hiking, a lot of, you know, uphill travel, We've done a ski run. We've transitioned taking skis on and off our pack. It's been a bit. And the day is maybe getting a little bit longer than we thought it would be at this point. But we need to continue. And we do so. We keep moving on our way. I don't remember exactly what time it set in. But we realized at some point that we were well behind schedule. And given that we were pretty beat, we did our best to keep moving fast down the trail. And the way we accomplished this, I thought was pretty fun, is we essentially hitched a ride from a Canadian couple, at least I think they were a couple, by striking (laughs) up conversation and trying to like keep their pace. So I don't know if you've ever done this, Jamie, on a hike or in the mountains or whatever, where you're like, man, I couldn't keep going like this on my own, but I'm following you and you're going fast. Yeah. You can kind of like hitch a ride on their energy moving forward, their momentum. So that's exactly what we did. Despite our pretty ragged state, you know, the majority of our mileage and basically all of our elevation gain is behind us, we kept with these folks. And it wasn't just our state of affairs that we were worried about. Frank had told his partner, Allison, that we'd be in touch by a certain time. We blew past that. Oh, God. Oh, no. So not good. And anticipating you know, the fact that you never quite know exactly how long something's going to take in the mountains, or at least I don't. We gave Allison, or Frank gave Allison, a second time when she was allowed to worry. You know, okay, now something might be wrong. And we blew past that one as well. You know, we're going as fast as we can. I don't think we did any running, but I mean, we're beat. There's this image, and I don't know if I'm manufacturing this or not, but there's this image in my mind of Frank, just this incredibly positive man, boundless energy, just like dragging his ski poles behind him as he walks down this trail. We're whooped. And we finally made it back to the parking lot. It was late. How late, I don't exactly remember, but it was late. 
And of course, at the parking lot, we don't have cell phone service. Figures. Of course. No way to get in touch with Allison right now. Even though we're done, you know, we're out of the wilderness. We can't get in touch. So we hightail it down this bumpy dirt road. You know, my old SUV, ka-chunk, 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 finally hit pavement and eventually get in contact with Allison. And thankfully, she hadn't called for help. But as Frank remembered it, we were messaging yesterday. She was mighty close, as close as potentially a few minutes away from calling for help. And that, Jamie, that is my epic, at least one of them, Colchuck Peak. Oh, June man. 2018. Well, that's crazy because, I mean, just thinking from Allison's point of view, yeah, she's like, these guys know what they're doing. They're up there. When they say, Here's, we're going to be back by this time, they mean it, right? From her perspective. And the last thing you want to do as like a hiker is to have search and rescue come after you just because like you hiked a little longer than you thought you were going to. You know, that's it's such a scary thing. But I'm so glad that you were able to catch her before she did that and before anything bad happened. Yeah, I agree. As we remember it, she was close to doing that. And for me, I've made this mistake a number of times. This might have been one of the first times I've ever done it, but where you give what you think is a very conservative get back time and you realize partway through whatever you're doing, that wasn't conservative enough. And I've since gone out and purchased a satellite messenger and SOS device where Number one, I can call for help myself if I need it when I'm outside of cell phone range. And number two, I can message people. So we could have messaged Allison and been like, hey, everything's okay, but we're going to be a little late. Don't worry about us. That kind of thing. I actually haven't activated it yet. It was a Christmas present this past year. But that to me, when we do get to a point where we're kind of going out into the backcountry and doing things kind of well away from cell phone service again, that will be a real respite in these kind of situations because it stressed us out knowing that Allison was going to be back at home or you know wherever she was worried about us. That's the last thing you want, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's super important to be able to have those things in mind. And Jim, it actually <laughs> leads in really perfectly to my story as well, which we are going to get to here after a really quick break. All right, folks, we're back talking about adventurous campfire stories. We just heard Jim talk about his great trek up to Colchuck Peak in the Enchantments. Jim, that was a great story and also a place that I feel like I would love to go to now. Maybe not to the extent that you did with the whole, you know, climbing the glacier and scrambling and snowboard boots. But it sounds like a great place to go check out. I think you, me, and everybody else. It's beautiful and it's <laughs> the place that everyone wants to go for a reason. I would 100% recommend you go check it out at some point, Jamie. But right now, I want to hear your epic of choice here. And as I understand it, Jamie, this is down in a different mountain in either you know South or Southeast Oregon, however you want to label it. Yeah, this is one of these stories that I almost like hesitate to tell because I feel a little uh, embarrassed about it and a little sort of ashamed. Being an outdoor person and a hiker, I, I really like to talk a lot about responsibility and making sure that you're safe out there. We talk a lot about that here on the podcast as well. And this is an example of a time when I was neither of those things, but it was pretty early on in my time in the travel beat and truly in my experience being a hiker. 
So this was a trip I had decided to take while I was going across southern Oregon back in early June of 2017. This is pretty much right when I started on the travel beat at the Oregonian. And I had this whole itinerary going across that ended at Heart Mountain, which is a fault block mountain that is down there in southern Oregon. It's just to the west of Steens Mountain. And it's this sort of beautiful, sweeping, high desert prairie up there with all the big sagebrush. It's an antelope preserve up there. So there's some pronghorn antelope that are up there. And my plan was basically to get to the Heart Mountain Hot Springs campground where there's a hot springs that you can just soak in and stay the night. And then the next morning, if I was feeling up to it, do the 12 mile backcountry hike to the peak of Heart Mountain, which is a place called Warner Peak. What threw a wrench in all of this was that I got to Heart Mountain early. So my plan was to get there sort of by Tuesday night and to spend the night there and consider hiking it on Wednesday. But instead, I got there late in the morning on Tuesday morning and thought, well, I can just sort of hang out here in the hot springs or maybe just set up camp and just sit around. But I don't know about you, Jim, but when I get in these situations, I'm just like itching for adventure and I'm itching to go hiking. So instead, I thought, you know what? There's still plenty of daylight. It's almost a summer solstice. Why don't I just go hike this? So I put my hiking boots on and I left the campground and started off on this 12 mile, 2,500 foot hike up to Warner Peak. So the way this hike works is that it starts off along an old Jeep road, which is basically your trail. And then after a certain point, you go off the Jeep road and you have to kind of pick your way through the sagebrush in order to find your way to the top of the peak. So I had written directions from a website, Oregon Hikers. I had a topographical map printed out and I had a compass. So I was like, I am ready to do this. I am set. And I found the right spot. And as soon as I saw this little sort of U-shaped valley through which I could hike, I set off into the sagebrush and over to the peak. And I was like psyched to do it. So it started off pretty well. You know, just walking and picking my way through the sagebrush, there was like this, some kind of bird of prey circling above. I don't know if it was a turkey vulture or if it was a hawk, but it was just going in these sort of small circles in one little spot above the sagebrush. And I watched it for a while and hiked, kept hiking on. Problems started mounting pretty early though. As I was walking through the backcountry, I realized that the sagebrush was so fresh and tall at that point of the year that it was going to take so much more energy just to hike through it. Jim, I was basically hurtling over the sagebrush. My gosh. I mean, these were like waist high, chest high in some places. Trying to pick my way through was like just a huge expenditure of energy. So this is a 2,500 foot elevation gain also with a track and field hurdles course set up in <laughs> right. the middle of it. Exactly. So it's just a lot more tiring than I had anticipated it on being. But you know what? I was having a great time. I was really enjoying the process of, you know, looking at the topographical map and looking out ahead and finding my way. It was super fun. You know, so I eventually got this little, I don't know if you can really call it a stream. It was like groundwater, marshy groundwater trickling past this little grove of aspens in the middle of the sagebrush. And then I had to sort of cross this patch of snow on a hill to get over towards the mm. peak. So that was, I mean, I'm sure you've done this before, but it's like you're, when you get on all fours and you're kind of digging your toes mm -hmm. into the snow, it's like toe, toe, hand, hand, working mm -hmm. your way across sort of a steep incline of snow and started working my way up to the top where there was more patches of snow that I could kind of work around. And here is where the big problem really came into play. What I had not considered going up here was that at this time of year in Southern Oregon, in the desert, there were going to be 
hordes of mosquitoes hatching from the snowmelt. Oh, boy. I was still pretty fresh into the outdoors at this point. Like, I thought mosquitoes are at lakes, you know, they're at places that you expect. I didn't expect to find huge, hungry mosquitoes hatching out of the snow, but of course, they do. So as I'm hiking and hurtling over sagebrush, now I have probably dozens of mosquitoes swarming at a time all over my arms. I had bug spray in the trunk of my car. Ooh, exactly where it can be helpful in such <laughs> right. a situation. Not helpful at all. So I couldn't do anything about it. So now I'm just hurtling sagebrush and swatting my arms and expending even more energy than I thought. The sun is beating down. There's no clouds at all. It's not super hot, you know, but it's still probably like 80 degrees or so in the sun. A little bit of breeze going was nice, but it was completely exhausting. But I kept going, I kept pushing, and finally I got up to the top of Warner Peak where there was this little communications tower, and I sat in the shade of the communications tower and just started drinking as much water as I could. I had brought a liter of water, which is my standard, you know, Nalgene full, which I took everywhere when I was hiking. You know, I was hydrated before I went hiking. But as I was drinking it and staring back out across the sagebrush to the path I had to take back, I was realizing I didn't have that much water with me. Once I was headed back, I probably only had maybe a third of it left. And I thought, man, I still have another six miles to go now. And I've got to go back through those mosquitoes, through the sagebrush, back through the whole thing. And I was, Jim, I was concerned at that moment. But when you're up there and you're in the middle of nowhere, it's like, what can you do? You don't really have a choice but to just keep going. So I... Took in the view that I had. It was a beautiful view of Southern Oregon. You can see the the Great Basin out to one direction. There were some lakes underneath of Heart Mountain. You could see it was just a really gorgeous view. And I was really glad to be able to see it. Then I turned around and just walked back. And as I was walking back down, things started to get really, really dire. Again, because, you know, you can navigate your way up there by topographical map and by looking at it. Going back is a whole other challenge because you're looking at now the land from a different angle. So I ended up getting myself all off track. You know, I probably walked about a half mile in a direction that was not helpful, led just to the edge of a cliff. And I thought, well, I have to turn around and go back now. So I added more distance to this. Meanwhile, the mosquitoes are still swarming. It's still hot. There's still sagebrush. And I am really, really starting to feel it. So I got back to the little grove of aspens with the groundwater And the thought occurred to me, I could maybe drink this water right here. It wasn't like a stream. It wasn't like a really a place you could fill your your water bottle. It wasn't that much. But I didn't have at that point a water filter that you would use to clean the water. And I didn't have the knowledge to know whether or not this water was clean. So I was balancing my head. I'm like, okay, well, do I want to risk drinking this water that I don't know is safe? Do I want to just push forward because I know I've got plenty of water back in my car back at camp and it's probably only you know three or four miles away at this point so I made the decision at that point just to push on I had about a quarter of my water left I thought it'll probably be fine and I didn't get probably more than half a mile or a mile from that spot when I realized that (laughs) that was probably a mistake that I probably should have taken the water anyway because I at this point was completely dehydrated I don't know, Jim, if you've gotten to the point of dehydration where you start to feel those symptoms they talk about of like you get the stomach ache and you start getting a little delirious and you get the headache and your thoughts kind of start to wander and you start to feel that just that shift in consciousness where things start to just really feel dire. Have you ever gotten to that point? You know, not as dire as what you're describing. 
I think. I've definitely, you know, felt some of the headache and stuff, but at some points, you know, on these long days, you don't know what exactly is causing your pain, but you know you're feeling it. That's kind of what I'd been used to was, yeah, you feel a little bit of headache here, your feet hurt or whatever. This is the first time I, like the stomach ache was a real big sign to me of like, wow, this is something that's really different. And that kind of delirious thought. I remember I have this very strong memory of going back up this, that little U-shaped valley that I'd first gone down into off the trail. And it wasn't that steep, but at this point, looking at it, it was like the steepest hill I had ever faced. Oh my. And to, just to add to the, the drama of it, that same bird of prey that was there before was still there in the same spot, just going in circles, except this time it was going in circles above me. And oh, great. I was feeling like, I remember I had the thought of like, I don't know if I'm going to get out of here alive because I was on this hike a little bit early. So this was a Tuesday and I had told my mom, I said, look, I'm going to check in with you by, you know, Wednesday night, which is when I was supposed to be back in town. I said, if you don't hear back from me Wednesday night, then, you know, send out the search party. Right. And I, so I was thinking about that standing in this desert and I thought, gosh, if I collapse here, no one's going to find me until what, maybe Thursday when people start looking for me at that point, there's no way I'm going to be alive. That's crazy. So I felt just like this flush of panic. And for the first time in my life, I had really felt like my mortality just so purely. And I had that instinct kick in where I was like, I don't want to die. I want to live. I need to get through this. I need to make it out of here alive, no matter what I have to do to do that. And so at that point, I was just counting steps. And I don't know how many it was. I think it was probably about 10 steps where I would just walk 10 steps and I would stand there and I would rest and I would swap mosquitoes and maybe I'd drink a little bit of water and then I'd walk 10 steps and I'd do it all over again. And just going up the side of this hill, I did that 10 steps, 10 steps, 10 steps, 10 steps. Until finally I got to the top and I saw the Jeep road and seeing that road really just brought in so much more energy. And I kind of shuffled my way to it and just collapsed, sat there on the road in the dirt and drank the rest of my water. So I knew at this point it was all downhill. I could just, you know, will myself back to the campground at that point. But I sat there in that dirt, just looking at the mountain I had climbed. And I thought, you know, it's really beautiful right now, actually. The sun was hitting it in that kind of that golden hour. And you could see the the green of the sage and of that the grasses there just really illuminating beautifully in the snow patches. And I remember getting my had my camera with me and I took a picture and thought, well, if I die here, at least I, I want to get a really nice picture of this mountain that did me in. You know, it seemed like a nice thing to have <laughs> no matter what happened. Do you still have the photo? Yeah, I do. I didn't have a chance to use it for much until recently for a story about expanded hunting options on Heart Mountain. And so I broke it back out, which is what jogged the memory of this whole story to begin with. But yeah, I'll share that photo on the show notes here. So, I mean, after taking the photo, it was still probably another couple miles back to the campground. But like I said, I had the momentum at this point and I just shuffled my way down that dirt road all the way back to the campground and just got out my camp chair out of the trunk of my car and collapsed in it and drank so much water. And I don't know, I mean, at that point of dehydration, it almost felt like the water didn't even do any good. And I was thinking like my plan was to camp there that night, but I thought, I I think I need like, you know, more amenities than are available here. Like what if I run out of the water I have in my car or like, what if I'm seriously ill or something seriously bad happened? So I drove back to Lakeview, the town in Southern Oregon that's closest by. 
And I got this hotel room that I had stayed in the night before. You know, I just shuffled into like the hotel lobby and told the guy behind the desk, like, yeah, I remember me from last night. I need it again. I, I feel like I might die. So <laughs> I think I need oh a bed. Gosh. And I got one of those big giant Gatorades because they say, you know, the electrolytes are good for you. And I just sat in bed and, you know, just chugged Gatorades and took off my shirt and looked at the mosquito bites I had. And I counted them. I think I probably had one or 200 mosquito bites on me. Oh my from goodness. I'd never had that experience before, but it was crazy. And at that point, Jim, I was just... Honestly, I was so happy to be safe and to be alive that I was happy to sit there with just, you know, dehydrated mosquito bitten. That was a small price to pay. So lesson learned here. Uh, a lot of lessons learned. And now I always carry a water filter with me. I went out and bought one of those big two liter size Nalgene's that I can take with me when I go into these situations, mm-hmm. you know, and I always consider things like, are there going to be mosquitoes hatching out of the snow? That's a good thing to consider before you go out hiking, I think. And so that's it's one of these little things you don't think about as much. But, you know, it was an epic adventure. And, you know, I'm happy that I can still be here to tell the tale of it. One of the things I think about what we would consider epic outdoor stories is to some extent, they occasionally feel like rites of passage. And I'm curious, Jamie, if this felt kind of like an indoctrination of sorts for you. Like, man, I had a really terrible experience. I made it through and I'm not doing any of that stuff again. Yeah, Jim, I think that rite of passage is the right way to put it. We always are told like, you know, we need to know our limits, but we don't always know what our limits are. I remember getting back from that hike and thinking, well, I certainly know what my limits are now. I've walked up to the edge and I've seen them. And it's hard to like recommend that people do that. But for those who have, it is this really profound experience. It definitely felt like a rite of passage for me. It was like, you know, learning and understanding in a very acute way that the dangers of nature aren't just bears or they're not falling off of cliffs. Sometimes it's just the sun and the plants and the things that are there. I really felt small in that natural setting and really vulnerable. And it was a a profound sense of vulnerability to be out there that really changed how I interact with nature. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, I didn't know the extent of this story before you told it. You had told me about counting steps and a very small number of steps with each go. And I, I thought before, wow, you know, this is quite serious. But the fact that you were questioning, am I going to make it out of here is kind of remarkable. And there's no way that you would have acknowledged that prior to leaving for that hike. I'm sure that was the farthest thing from your mind was this could be a life-changing experience or worse. Yeah. It's always funny when these things happen. I feel like, you know, on one hand that I was kind of, you know, fate guided me to this moment. It was something that I, I think really needed in that point in my life. You know, I had just gotten out of a big breakup at that point and I was trying to start this new job as an outdoors writer. And I can look back on it and feel a little embarrassed at the foolishness I of not being prepared. But at the same time, this experience has helped shape and prepare me for who I am today and for the job that I do now. So it really turned out to be a really important experience, even if it's not one that I could have foreseen or even one that I feel completely comfortable retelling to everybody. Although I guess I'm literally retelling it to everybody right now. So (laughs) I I think though, Jamie, that there's service in, you know, you are paid to hike and take photos and write about your experiences and kind of 
guide people into how they spend their free time. That's an amazing job, but it's important to show that like you had to take a path to get there. And one of the paths is maybe making a couple misjudgments on a trip where you were by yourself and could have really run into a problem. I guess it gives other folks potentially a little bit of solace knowing that, you know, someone who is experienced at this can still run into some problems. Or maybe solace is the wrong way to put it, but I guess it's humbling and transparent and, you know, it goes to show that no one is immune to the difficulties that you can run into outside. Yeah, I think that's something that both of our stories really touch on is it's easy to look at people's Instagram photos or whatever and to see that as like, oh, this person is so experienced and this person is, you know, so good at doing these outdoor adventures. But those don't often tell the stories of our mistakes and those things that do humble us and those struggles and challenges we have in order to make those adventures happen. And those are just as an important a part of the experience as getting to have that awesome view at the end of the trail, you know? Yeah, I'm drawn back to a a song lyric, nobody hangs hard times on the wall in terms of like photos, right? You don't Mm. go and show you at your weakest moment. But it's funny because in the outdoor community, some of those hardest moments could turn into the best photos and the ones that you are in a literal sense or more figuratively going to hang on your wall, right? Yeah. You know, I will say that I took a picture of myself as soon as I collapsed in that camp chair. At the end, I did take a selfie that I don't think I've really shared (laughs) very widely, but I felt like this is an important moment to capture. And it's something that I, I, you know, look at from time to time. I think it's a really uh, important thing to to remember and to keep around. Yeah, I think so too, especially in a world where you, you know, you're right, you see a ton of beautiful photos of mountains at golden hour, and we're all really drawn to that. And it's good for folks to know it's not all golden hour rainbows and gorgeous summits. Sometimes there's some difficult stuff you run into along the way as well. Totally. totally. I guess. Well, Jamie, I am ready to move on from our epic campfire tales for now, but I want to remind folks that you should absolutely 100% call in and tell us your own campfire tale, right? We've got the podcast hotline. If you've got that pen handy, 503-221-4345. And you can also record a voice memo, send it to us, podcasts with an S at Oregonian.com. Keep them short, keep them concise, and we might just feature them on a future episode. I, I know we've gotten a couple submissions so far, and I'm really looking forward to sharing some of what you folks have to say. Yeah, I the couple that we've seen so far are good ones, and I cannot wait to hear from more. I think we can have a nice episode of listener stories to bring you all into our virtual campfire and uh, bring you into this experience. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm excited. But in the meantime, you can subscribe to Peak Northwest wherever you get your podcasts, watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel, and of course, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest. This episode of the podcast was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale, Dave Killen, and Brooke Herbert. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone. Until next time, we'll leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.